real quick, just before I jump in, I feel the need to introduce myself. My name is Nigel, uh, and I'm 27 years old, and I'm doing really well right now. Uh, like, for real, like, I'm in a really healthy space. Like, you could, you could make some noise for that. Now, I share that with you uh, because that's not always the case. I think over the last year and some change, we have all been through our fair share of ups and downs, to say the absolute least, okay? Uh, we've all been on the verge of mental breakdown, I think, uh, between shelter-in-place, pandemic, injustices occurring, all the crazy stuff in the world. It's a miracle that we can actually get to sit here together in this room uh, and serve God in that way. And I share how I'm doing because I think that how you're doing is more important than what you're doing or what you do. And so I feel the need to let you know that I feel great tonight. I'm doing well. I'm in a really healthy place and I'm excited to share uh, something really special with you. I like to tell stories. Anybody like stories? Show of hands. I like a good story. We love a good story. Uh, and I wanted to bring a little picture with me today uh, and just go back before we go forward. Okay. All the ladies said, oh, all the brothers was like, why is this baby head so big? What is wrong with this baby? This is me at six years old. But before I go forward, I just want to let you know, if you hear something that you resonate with tonight, do not be shy. I communicate, but so do you. In the way that you respond, if you have something, if you make, want to make that like that yummy noise to be like, hmm. You know, when somebody says something real good, feel the need. Amen. Preach that. You could throw some, Don't throw nothing at me, please. But feel the need to respond if you hear something that you resonate with, that you feel like God is speaking to you. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. Okay. Well, this is me at the tender age of six years old, big head, big dreams, big everything. Okay. Like I'm out here on a mission uh, in my first grade class trying to make it happen. Uh, and I was thinking uh, about our time together. And I brought this picture with you because this, this picture reminds me of simpler times. It reminds me of times where the responsibilities were few. Okay. Anybody missed having not that much responsibility? And the instructions were many. Uh, your parents always telling you what to do, sometimes bringing discipline into play if you weren't listening to what I mean come on look how cute this kid is okay like you know he was in trouble principal's office every day all right now I show you this picture because there are certain phrases that I grew up hearing in my instructions that I received from my parents uh, some of them would be like this would be at the church they said God is good okay y'all with me right here in the front okay and all the time okay y'all track it with me all right now I want to see how many people got whooped back in the day okay now, uh, uh, they used to use this phrase, stop all that crying before I... Y'all got beat in the front. I know that y'all... I know, I know that y'all did. Uh, and, and, and another one of those is, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Y'all got beat down right in the front. I just know that y'all did. But listen, one of my favorite ones that I reflect on now, and it's actually where we're landing in our time together today, is that you are to be seen and not heard. You are to be seen and not heard. I think a large part of what we are dealing with collectively, not only as a culture and society, but as Christians today, is that we have access to excess. And because we have access to excess, we feel the need to vocalize everything at all the time. We feel the need to engage in things that we don't really even have no business in. We always want to open up our mouths and give input where we have not been invited. I should hear amen. Okay, don't be quiet. Right? Don't be quiet now. Now, uh, the reason why I mention this uh, is because I think it's very important tonight that we land on this idea of what it means to be seen and not heard. Uh, and when I was thinking back about this, this time of reflection on this picture and what it looked like to grow up in my home, when my mother would say, you are to be seen and not heard, she wasn't trying to disrespect me. She was trying to teach me obedience. She was letting me know that my presence was appreciated, but my input was not needed. 
Okay, so let's pray real quick and we're gonna jump into God's word together. God, we invite you into this space right now and we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. We pray, God, that hearts would be softened right now, that ears would be open, that eyes would be attentive, and that you would come and sweep through this place and do something that only you can do. We do not wanna walk out here the same way that we walked in, God. We want to be changed for your glory and for our good. And God, I pray that tonight that we would understand what it means to wrestle with this idea of quiet and that we would embrace what it means to uh, go out and use our voice at the appointed time, but to make sure that our character is developing in the midst of that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, you know, I brought the word with me. I don't just like to talk. I like to let the text talk. So let's pick up right here. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Anybody love the word of God out there? A couple of y'all finna pray, okay? Okay. And I want to read it with you. We're going to do a brief Bible study really quickly. This is uh, the, the subtitle of this passage in particular translations. It's, it's titled Living to Please God, something that we should all be striving to do, okay? And so it says here, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority Uh, of Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body. How many of you know that your mouth is a part of your body? We should be striving to control that thing, okay? All right, and it says that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans or the outsiders who do not know God. It goes on to say this, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a, but to live a, holy life. That's right. It goes on to say this, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And this is where we're landing tonight in this next part of scripture. Now lock in. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers and sisters to do so more and more and to make it your ambition or aspiration to lead a, and to make it your ambition or aspiration to live a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, mind your business. That's Bible, you don't even have to argue with them. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Some translations say, or so that you're not dependent on yourself. The beautiful thing about Paul as he's writing these Thessalonian people, one of the primary things that he focused on a couple chapters before we get to chapter four, he said, you all have great faith. Anybody in here have great faith? Okay, hands down. How many of y'all, you're working on your faith? you like, walk with me, man, we working on it, okay? He's writing them and saying, your faith is so great that you're inspiring other people with it. You do this so well. So number one that we're looking at first through this lens as Paul is communicating with the Thessalonians, we've got faith as number one. Faith, your belief in God, it's evident and it can easily be seen. The second thing that he mentions leading up to what it looks like to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God is love. Anybody need love in the room? 
I'm not talking about that Disney movie romantic, crazy episodes of you type love. I'm talking about <laughs> biblical, this is God's love manifest in a person for me, to me. We all need that. We all can be that for other people. We're going to talk about that later. But he writes them about their faith and their love. But if you notice, when you look at the text, the one thing that he doesn't talk about is hope. He was talking about their faith and their love. He said, your love is so great that you spread it throughout Macedonia to all the people that you impact. But what about that hope? I would argue that right now, I wouldn't even have to argue with you. I would just state right now that people aren't helpless, but they're hopeless. 2020 did a number on all of us. Can I get an amen in here? All of us from Kobe Bryant to the pandemic to Kanye West running for president. I mean, like, come on. Like for real, all of us were looking for hope. And it's not just you and I, the believer, the person who is building their faith, but we're also talking about the outsider. We're also talking about the person that might not know God. If we know God and we know love and we're struggling, how do you think the outsider feels? How do you think the person out there that is really looking for something tangible but having a difficult time finding it, how do you think they feel right now? Do you think that their hope meter is full or do you think that it's empty? Okay, and so this next point that I want to make that I brought with me is that faith, love, and hope are indicators of maturity. But how many of you know that age and maturity are not synonymous? That's why you got young people who are getting wisdom at an early age who are acting more mature than older people who are still acting like little kids. Shout out to y'all's uncles and aunties in the Facebook comment section arguing about every issue when it would be really easy to just press the log out button on their phone. Okay. But to take it a step further, it don't even have to do with age. How many of you know that Christianity is not synonymous with maturity? Mm, real quiet in here. How many of you know that Christianity is not synonymous with maturity? We have been called to live holy lives. We are supposed to be representations of God's light and of his love. And it is up to us to take hope, to take love, and to take faith to the outsider so that we might win their respect. And I want to look closely, really quickly right here at this passage I have these things highlighted because I think that they're so important, and this is exactly where we're landing tonight, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Win. Anybody like to win in here? Where are my athletes at? You could clap it up. The Braves won last night. You could clap it up. Okay, okay. I think it's interesting that this is the language that Paul uses, win the respect of an outsider. We all the time have been told that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. You've heard that before, all of us. I mean, you heard that in kiddie, kindergarten, whatever, whenever you were a kid. Like me with that big old head in that picture, I had heard that before I even stepped foot into a church. But we don't often talk about how the enemy also has a plan for our lives. We don't talk about how the enemy is often always trying to win the outsider by debilitating them, uh, taking away their empathy, taking away their understanding and just emptying their hope so that they're hopeless and they find something to rely on that is not God. So it is up to you and I, if we have an ambition to lead a quiet life, if we understand that solitude is good for us, that we can commune with God in a quiet place and take something powerful out to the world that they so desperately need by minding our own business, that we can indeed win the respect through our character of the outsider. And I think so deeply about these topics. They burden me from time to time. In my prayer life, I'm always finding myself praying for the world, praying for our generation, praying for the coming generation so that everybody will stop doing this on TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Anybody tired of that? Make some noise if you're tired of seeing that on your timeline. And that's funny, right? But you ever notice how something weird on social media will make you feel? 
And I mentioned that point because of this next point that I've brought with me is the enemy is constantly offering up invitations into situations that we were not created to carry or contribute to. It's so good, I'm going to read it again. The enemy is constantly offering up invitations into situations that we were not created to carry or contribute to. There's a friend of mine who I follow on social media, and recently he wrote out this really cool idea about story stress. Essentially stating that you and I, in the first 15 minutes of waking up, if we grab our phone like most of us do, scrolling through our timeline, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or any other social media app, that we're consuming more information in 15 minutes than our grandparents actually consumed in one month. I'm just going to let that sit right there. In 15 minutes of us waking up, when we grab our phones and scroll, we're consuming just as much information as our grandparents did in one month. We have been fed with all of this information, the media throwing things at us, narratives, agendas, all of these things. And so in all these invitations, you know, and I know that we were not created to carry the burden that 2020 brought us. Too many things happened in great succession that started to debilitate our empathy. It started to take away our ability to understand. In all this noise that's coming in from the news and from CNN and from Fox and from Instagram and all these different things that people are arguing about, social injustices, political issues, these things can be numbing to us because the noise is so loud. And when the noise is so loud... And we're constantly overwhelmed with stress because of all the information that we're consuming. We can't even contribute to society because we become consumers. And this is what makes our hope just continue to drop and drop and drop. And our our lack of hope is affecting our character. And it's impossible almost for us to win the heart of the outsider. Man, Christians have been acting crazy, y'all. I mean, for real. This is something that truly burdens me and bothers me. Anybody else just feel like that? Like, man, Christians, we've been acting real strange. Why are we always finding ourselves in the midst of an argument that's happening? We don't have any business over in a particular place, then we don't have to put our opinion in there. We are called to be carriers of light and love. And so when we let this noise continue to get into our minds and get into our hearts, it makes it difficult for us to empathize. And although we would decorate ourselves with these cool titles about how we're Christian, we're actually dehumanizing people when we cast judgment upon them, when we should be loving them and walking with them. Thank you for clapping, young man. I appreciate you in the front. Y'all can clap for him real quick for clapping. So which brings me to my next point, ladies and gentlemen. We have to protect our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds. And you're asking yourself, well, how do we do that? Well, I brought more scripture with me. Let's read yet again. We're going to pick up right now in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, so that you'll live a holy life. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, a supporter with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole Okay, I need y'all to wake up. Uh, He is the atoning sacrifice for not just us, but the whole Meaning that when Jesus died for our sins, it wasn't just specific for us. Jesus is not just for the believer, for the Christian. He's for the lost. He's for the outsider, the person that you and I are supposed to be trying to win. Uh, the, The verse goes on to say this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And we're getting ready to stop right here in this next verse because it's so important to examine. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And let's just stop right there. 
This idea of completeness, it needs nothing. We were singing about how God is a good, good father. He's perfect in all of his ways. He's complete. Now, he, every day, through the sacrifice of Christ and the closeness that we can have with him through quiet and communion is offering up his perfect love to quite literally be complete in us. And in the same way that we were looking at what it meant to win and how we're in the midst of a battle and a war uh, for our souls, essentially, and the soul of the outsider, I think that this is so important when we think about what it means to be complete and whole. You ever met somebody out there and they're so confused in their spirituality, and I'm not saying this to judge anybody, but you got to feel me, okay? They'd be like, man, you know, I'm a Pisces and, you know what I'm saying, she was like an Aquarius. And like, I'm just so glad that the universe brought us together through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. I'd be like, what are you talking about? But I don't, I don't laugh. I don't laugh. Like, it's not funny. It, it, it's just, it's something that's indicating, right? It's an indicator that they're looking for God. They're looking for him in his completeness, but they're getting him in fractions. They're getting him in fragments because God can be found in a couple of these other places, but he will never be found in full in the same way that he is found in Christ when we come to know him as Lord and Savior. Somebody should be clapping all around this room right now. And so while people are playing with crystals and Ouija boards and all that weird stuff out there, they're looking for God. They have a desire in their heart to commune with him because that's the reason why they were created, but they can't find it in these other places. So they continue to look for somewhere where they can feel comfortable and where they can feel in control. Christianity is not sexy. It's not sexy to say, yeah, man, come lay down your life and walk with the Lord and suffer in pain and stuff like that for the sake of growth and the glory of God. <laughs> you know that person. It's like, oh my God, Christianity is so fun. I love it so much. Like I just wake up and you know, I, 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 I drink the Welch's grape juice and I break me off a little piece of cracker real quick and I pop it real, you know, for he was, his body was broken and you know, for the shedding of his blood and you know, just praise the Lord. <laughs> Christianity is not like that at all. We're passionate people and we love God and in our sanctification, it's very debilitating sometimes. But in that crushing and pressing, God creates something beautiful in us that we can take and share with the world. We have to know him deeply before we can share him. That is the call of the Great Commission, to know him and make him known. We can't talk about a God that we don't know. And furthermore, it's up to us to deliver a statement about this hope that we have when we're asked or when we have the opportunity to present that to refute these lies that people continue to create about God Almighty in heaven. Some baby claps, some golf claps right there. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Now, I want to move on to this next point just to illustrate what I'm saying right now. And that's this. And that's this. People are looking for the love of God. And the bottom part is, and they will only see it through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you have a true understanding of who God is, when you have accepted Jesus into your heart, you realize that Christianity is so much more than religion. It's not keeping these laws and doing these legalistic, mundane things that make life boring and you're just submitting to this holy God and being crushed and pressed every day. And it's so enjoyable. You realize that when I say yes to Christ, when he ascended after he rose from the dead to go sit at the right hand of the Father, he left for us the advocate. You want something that's going to transform your life? I, I, I pray that you would start looking at, at John chapter two and chapter three and talk about when it says that God gives his spirit in excess. He's never mad at you when you ask for an outpouring of his spirit because the Holy Spirit is the thing that is going to be a clear indicator that your life is different, that you are not uh, an ordinary person, that he can heal the broken things that, that exist inside of you. And it's a matter of the heart. And so we've all heard this cliche before, right? Hurt people. 
Okay. It's like the, it's like the most cliche thing. Everybody using it. It's like all the motivational speak, the speeches and things. But if hurt people hurt people, then that means that healed people can heal people. I said, if hurt people hurt people, that means that healed people can heal people. And we need the Holy Spirit for that. This faith that we have is very formative and the Holy Spirit will be that thing that goes in and does that little heart surgery and the big heart surgery and fixes the things that are broken inside of us. I was researching recently because I'm somewhat of a nerd, okay? Like I really enjoy like brain science. I like neuroplasticity and neurology and all these cool terms. I wanna know about the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and all these things. I'm just a nerd for it. And there are a lot of scientists who will combat each other and talk about either the brain controls the body or the heart controls the body. But tonight, if you just stay with me for just a second, because I promise I'm going somewhere with this, I want to assert to you this idea that the heart has the ability to affect the entire body. Anybody had anxiety in here before? Mm, most of us, almost all of us, I would imagine at some point in time, when you start to breathe heavy because your heart is pounding, your heart is affecting your lungs. That's a part of your body. And anybody ever had anxiety to the point where your thoughts just start racing and they're going everywhere and you don't even know what to think? It's affecting your brain. That's another part of your body. Has your anxiety ever been so bad or your heart been in such a bad state or condition because of the way that it's been affected by the weight of the world that maybe you even fainted before? Those are your limbs. That's literally your body. So the heart can go out and affect your entire body. Not just in the natural, the one person, you and I, our heart can affect our body, but we are what? The body of Christ meaning that one of us can serve as a representative to all of us in the context of one individual person. So when the outsider sees a Christian acting crazy out there, they're like, oh, psh, you see, that's why I don't go to church, girl. I can't even go to church because these Christians, you, you seen how they was acting over there. You seen they voted for this person or they made this post whenever this injustice occurred in the world. And I just can't get with that. So I ain't going to church. They want me to give all this money and all these things. That is, that's what happens when one heart has been corrupted in the body and acts as a representation for the entire body. So we have to be very conscious about the health of our heart. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Now, I want, I want to look at this, this last part of this point because I think that sickness and disease are big when it comes to the heart. And we cannot deny disease. It's not just you and I. We all need help, and you know this. We all need help. Our hearts have been weighty and broken. But again, to bring it back to 1 Thessalonians 4, the outsider, can you imagine the weight that exists in the heart that doesn't know what shame liberated feels like? Can you imagine the heart of someone that doesn't know what grace is? Can you imagine the heart of someone who's been carrying a burden and their identity is broken because of the way that they were spoken to as a child? They don't know that there is freedom in Jesus, but we get to offer that up. If hurt people hurt people, healed people can heal people. That's right. And if we know that healing in his name is Jesus, we can take it and we have to get it through quiet. But I brought this image with me really quick before I move forward. It's the image I created in 2015. It's called carnal heart. Maybe you have heard of uh, the, the scriptures, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. It's not going to go up on the screen. I've just got it in my brain. It says the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who knows how to fix this? And it's only God that knows how to fix a heart that only he had the power and ability to create. And so I want to look very closely, really quickly at the life of Jesus and something that he did that was really interesting and specific to this topic that we're talking about of quiet and healing. I want you to see how they connect with each other. It says right here in Matthew 14, 13 and 14, uh, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Those are three real key indicating words. He withdrew privately to a solitary place. 
Anybody like being alone? You're like, I'm an introvert. Leave me alone. That's me. It might not seem like that because of the way that I communicate and I've got a personality, energy and stuff, but I'm really going to enjoy being at home tonight in the corner of my sectional piece with like a book in my hand or watching a show on Hulu. You know what I'm saying? And you can clap it up if you're an introvert out there. It's okay. Now, the reason why I mention this is because keep an eye on what happens before Jesus heals anybody. It says, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. Do you see how the former affects the latter? He withdrew. He was private in a solitary place, and he was quiet. I would imagine in this time that Jesus knew what he was about to do, but he had to go get quiet, and he asked for specific instructions from God. What should I do? How should I feel? How should I move? What do you want me to do in this moment? And in his quiet, in his solitary place, He was moved with emotion and compassion, and he healed people. This is Jesus's humanity. We don't talk about this a lot because we love to talk about Jesus's divine power, which is extremely important. It's the reason that you and I can exist and live lives that are liberated today. But his humanity, he had skin just like you and I had skin. He had thoughts just like you and I have thoughts. He had emotions in the same way that you and I had emotions. And it says here that when he withdrew to the private, solitary place, He shook off some of that stuff. He wasn't burdened with story stress because he often retreated. He didn't need no social media detox because he took one daily from people when he got away and he communed and went and and was private and quiet with God. And when he landed, he saw a large crowd. He was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. There's something so special about that quiet place when it's just you and it's just God. You don't have to have your journal You don't have to have your Bible. You can just open up your mouth and you can converse with him and pray. The power of prayer, it could create miracles. The power of prayer can take that crazy family member that you've been dealing with for the last decade and change their life. You might not see it immediately, but if you continue that prayer and you grab somebody else and you say, hey man, he or she needs prayer. Hey man, he or she, can you put us on a prayer list? And then 10 years later, after you've been praying, You see that change because you planted all those seeds of prayer. This is what we get to see Jesus do. He goes, he gets quiet, he communes, he comes back refreshed and restored, and he uses the power that God gave him. And that is what is available for you and I today, ladies and gentlemen. So with our last few minutes together, I want to look very closely at what quiet can do for you. Let's start right here. First point, you should be taking notes. Please take notes. Quiet equalizes emotional instability. When you've been scrolling all day long and you don't know how to stop, when you got in an argument with your mama and you had some beef with your roommate and somebody called you number one in traffic when you cut them off, you know what I'm saying? You've been carrying that stress around all day long. This is what it has the ability to do. When you're quiet, it can equalize your emotional instability. So you ain't out here all out of balance trying to operate and be kind to people and not even have the capacity to love them because you're so emotionally drained. I recently, I have a therapist. Anybody else have a therapist in the room? You don't mind to talk about it. I have one. I have multiple, actually. Jesus in therapy, promise it works, okay? Okay, you can snap it up for that right there. She she recently told me in one of our sessions together, she said, Nigel, it sounds like you've been really oppressed and that people have been like coming for you in this season of life, and I can't explain it, but it's just been happening. She said, in your frustration to make sure that your soul is clean when you go to bed at night, you need to stop and repent in the moment when things happen to you. 
I was like, what you mean? I'll be mad. She was like, you need to stop and repent in the moment so that you don't go to bed wearing heavy things on your soul and wake up in the next day and be mad and not know why you're mad because you didn't even forgive that person who wronged you yesterday. So we have to be emotionally equalized, okay? This is the second point, okay? It goes on to say this, quiet allows you to process and prepare. I don't wanna say 2020 no more. I don't wanna hear the word unprecedented no more. I don't wanna hear anything else crazy happening, murder hornets, I don't wanna hear none of that. It's too much to process. It's too much to carry and bear. And the only way to truly process is to get quiet, to let your mind open up to God so that your imagination can connect with him and he can help you process the things that you're dealing with. Because oftentimes God will speak something to us sequentially. And over time, if we're listening to him, he will actually be preparing us through the things that we process. Your experience on this earth is not for no reason. And God loves to speak to his people. Sometimes he'll speak to you through a song. Sometimes it's a podcast. Sometimes it's a word that comes to you from a friend. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's just the way that the weather feels outside. It's good to enjoy creation. He is preparing us, but we have to stop and process so that we can understand what he is preparing us to do. The third point is this, and I'm almost done. Y'all know black people be on the stage. They be like, I'm about to finish. They ain't about to finish. You got at least 10 more minutes. I'm sorry. All right, here we go. Quiet caters to your creativity. Any creative people in here? When you are overwhelmed and you're constantly consuming, it really debilitates your ability to contribute. Your creativity is cultivated in quiet places. And some of the best contributions that the world has ever seen have come out of quiet places. We have to stop, process, and prepare, and then we have to do something with what we have. Quiet caters to your creativity. Fourth point, and I swear I'm almost done. Quiet creates closeness with God. I love communion. I'm not talking about the bread and the wine or the bread and the grape juice. I'm talking about communion. The literal definition of communion, you can Google this, is the exchange of mental uh, thoughts and expressions or emotions on a mental or spiritual level. You can commune with God every day. I do it when I'm in the car. I'm probably going to do it on my way home back down to the east side in Atlanta. Shawty, that's where I stay, okay? Like, I love communion. It's a beautiful thing, and we have access to that through the power of God. And so quiet creates a closeness with you through your communion with God. And I know I'm moving fast, okay, but here's our fifth point. Quiet helps you care for your community. There's this young lady, she wrote this book called When Helping Hurts. Anybody read it before? Anybody ever been on a mission trip before? Okay, I've been on them before. So we call it service trip, make it sound real cute sometimes. But she essentially wrote this book and she states in the book that we can do more harm than good when we go into places with solutions that people did not ask for. I wonder how many of us are being called to a community of people and we don't know how to serve that community because... We are not asking the right questions. We're not moving forward with empathy and trying to engage in conversation with them to see what they need. And we think that we know best. So we're going to offer up our solution, what we think is right, based on our own subjective experience and opinion. We have to be quiet. Quite literally, this point, if I could have wrote it out a little more literal, I would have just said we got to shut up sometimes. Like we have to be quiet and listen to the people around us and to God in quiet so he can communicate what he wants to do in the community that you're called to serve. And lastly, this is the most important point right here. Quiet brings clarity to your call. Quiet brings clarity to your call. In October 2019 is the first time that I really stepped into a place where I was healthy enough or unhealthy enough, if you will, to start going to therapy. 
And I think that in this time of really opening up and getting real with God while journaling and processing with my mentors and my community, when I started stepping into these areas, they started telling me about, we need to create these things in our life that are like timelines, the best moments, the high moments, the low moments, the traumatic moments, the unescapable moments of joy. And in creating this timeline of your life from zero all the way up to whatever age that you are now, you'll start to notice patterns of things that happen to you, of really awesome experiences that you loved. And oftentimes you'll be able to connect the bad with the good and see enough patterns to show you what God is trying to cultivate and shape in you so that you can go and give that thing to the world. And as I started to work through my emotions and I started to work through my identity, I realized that I'm put on planet earth to evoke thought, to quite literally make people think or encourage and challenge people to think and to inspire action. Not just to encourage people and make them feel good and go home but to make them think about the character of God, to make them think about their own individual power and the gift that they have that God wants to use and to encourage you to do the work that it's going to take to let him extract those things that exist inside of you so that you can go and give them to the world. It's this beautiful, beautiful transaction between you and God. When you're quiet, he brings clarity to your call. I'm for real about to close. Real quick, I wanna show y'all this baby picture one more time. Simpler times, a lot less stress, didn't even know how to expel anxiety, wasn't depressed, probably had very small traumatic experiences that I really omitted in my mind and couldn't remember. But I remember what my mom said to me about, you know, you are to be seen and not heard. And while I look back at it, it's a very practical way for her to express that, hey, we we appreciate your presence, but we don't want your input. What is a six-year-old kid going to throw into a conversation with a bunch of 30-some-year-old people. I don't have anything to, to input. But she wasn't trying to disrespect me. She was trying to lead me into obedience, which leads me to my last point. Which leads me to my last point. When people appreciate your presence, they will value your voice. Character first, ladies and gentlemen. We're encouraged to lead a quiet life. It's not so that you're quiet and God doesn't want you to open your mouth, but he wants people to see his presence that exists in you first before people can come to value your voice. People are so tired these days of the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch, the the TV shows, the cars. They create this thing called the metaverse where you can quite literally jump into a headset and go into an alternate virtual reality. Somebody really didn't like reality when they thought about that idea. Sounds creative to jump into some alternate reality, but I think reality is pretty cool. I like it out here. It's great. When I think about this, people will appreciate your presence and they will value your voice. But the last point that I want to leave you with, this can come at the cost of being quiet. I think I've said plenty on this stage tonight and I hope I didn't say too much. But I want us to be encouraged tonight. People have voices They don't need us to be a voice for them. People have emotions. They know how to process. They know how to feel. People have their own traumas and stresses that they're working through. And it's just like us to try to put some biblical band-aid over things when we just need to be sitting with people sometimes. Your presence alone is enough because his presence alone is enough. But you gotta know him. You gotta know him intimately. 
You got to know him in and out. You got to know the truth of who he is when the world starts throwing lies on his name and tries to convince you that you shouldn't even believe in the God that has saved your life. Quiet. That's all it costs. It's quiet. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we want more of your spirit. Pray, God, that we would learn what it means to decrease while we invite you into the increase of our lives. Because people don't need to see more of us. They need to see more of you. And these bodies that you've blessed us with, these minds that you have given us, these, these hearts that beat inside of our chest, they're just a vessel for us to glorify you. People need you, God, now more than ever. And so my prayer for every heart and mind in this room and for everybody watching at home is that we would be convicted to know that when we do less, we can have more impact. I pray, God, that we would, we would get close with this idea of quiet, that we would contemplate and think, that we would put our phones down and retreat, and then we would come back with that same power that you had in Matthew 14 when you healed people who were sick because of the compassion that existed in your heart. If you want that, would you just raise your hand tonight? Nobody's looking around. You say, God, I want more of your spirit. I realized that I could be a little more quiet and have a little more impact. Nobody's looking around if you want that. And even if you're just raising your hand in your heart, that's okay too. <laughs> Specific prayer tonight, God, is for every hand raised and even for the ones who have raised their hands in their hearts, God, that you would invite them into this closeness, that their eyes would be more open and aware to the goodness of your glory that exists all around them every day. And that we would, in our understanding of who you are, having your nature and true identity revealed to us, that we would take what we learn and know about you and share it with the outsider. In our presence, in our actions, and in our words, God, let us be people who change our internal world before we seek to change the world that exists outside of us. God, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and we seal it by your blood. Amen.